Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together, and nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck, and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Oh, and first pitch rushing! Deep left field! This is Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where Here's Frank, Scott, and Chris. Make that 12 teams with double-digit runs scored on Tuesday night, the first time that's been done in MLB history. Welcome into Fantasy Baseball today on Wednesday, July 19th. I am Frank Sample, joined by Scott White. Today on the show, there's a lot to talk about. Offensive explosions. <laughs> that means pitchers got rocked. We had six double-dongs, a potential sell-high pitcher, and much more. Before we get started, please like this video and subscribe on YouTube if you haven't already. And if you're listening on the audio side, download, follow, and leave a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify. Scotty, mm-hmm. what a day. What, what a day. What a day. <laughs> Tweet of the day comes from Greg Sessler. Today felt like April. That's what he said. And it's so true. It's so true. All the all the good pitchers, theoretically good pitchers anyway, getting smacked around. And uh, so that was his tweet. My tweet was, today is opposite day. Everyone has an ugly pitching line, but Aaron Nola. <laughs> Which isn't literally true. And people were very quick to point out it wasn't literally true. But you, you get the idea. Like normally, you know, we're complaining about Aaron Nola's line. He, he was great. On a day when seemingly nobody else was. Yeah, you can't do the uh, the literal tweets on uh, on Twitter, Scott, because people will just lose their minds. Anyway, let's get into it. The impossible has happened! It was a near impossible day, Scott, and why don't you kick us off with a player that you'd like to highlight? Well, I, I feel like you could randomly assign me one because there's so <laughs> many to choose from. But I gravitated toward Mitch Keller. And, and part of the reason I gravitated toward Mitch Keller was, um, you know, a lot of these bad pitching lines, we're, we're going to talk about them all, I'm sure. I'm not sh- I don't know how much we're going to have to say about them because they just seem like isolated incidents and there isn't much under the hood there to, uh, to, to, to dig into. You could argue that maybe there was a lot of regression hitting uh, some overachieving pitchers all at once. It's a little too convenient of an argument, I would say, that that would all happen on the same day. Uh, but but that is an argument you can make for some. But but Keller, the reason I want to talk about him is because there have been some kind of concerning signs for a while now with him. And so the fact he gave up eight runs on 10 hits to the Guardians is a little worrisome. He struck out just one. It lasted six innings, it's worth noting, to his credit. He, he lasted six innings, and it didn't look like he was going to at first because five of those eight runs came in the first inning. He's, he managed to gut through and, 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 and make it six innings, and, and so his, certainly his, his points league total wasn't as bad as it could have been. Um, but he struck out only one in those six innings, had five swinging strikes on 102 pitches, and that's the real concerning part for me because 
in seven starts leading up to this performance, he managed a 340 ERA. So, you know, it was hard to panic about Mitch Keller, but in seven starts prior to this one where he had only five swinging strikes, his swinging strike rate was 6%. And it hadn't been good all year, even when, you know, he got off to that great start where he was getting a lot of strikeouts. It's not like the swinging strikes were great. So I, I don't know that that's, it's not as big a part of Mitch Keller's game. It's not as essential to his success as it is for, for maybe a lot of other pitches, but 6% is really low. And uh, obviously it just got lower with this start. During that stretch, his velocity has been down a little, about one mile per hour some of the time. It, it wasn't even that far down in this start. So I, I don't know if there's anything to make of that. I think, and also like in, in terms of giving up, you know, quality of contact again, Mitch Keller, average exit velocity against him in this one, 86.6 miles per hour. I mean, normally you'd take that. You, you'd tell me nothing else about a pitcher start other than average exit velocity against him was 86.6 miles per hour. Like that's, that's, that's fine. That's good. Is that a little bit misleading though, Scott? Because he did give up 10 hard hits in this game. Yeah, I mean, right. That's that's additional context, but I'm saying just if average exit velocity, all you know is it's 86.6 miles per hour. That, that's that's a positive for Mitch Keller in this start. And and that's part of the reason why he's managed to succeed overall despite this drop in, in, uh, in swings, swinging strikes. So I, I think what's going on with Mitch Keller, the velocity makes me wonder if there's something health-wise going on. That's a separate issue. More likely, it's just that he has he's become one of these pitchers like Joe Musgrove, like you, Darvish, who has such a wide variety of pitches that it's hard for him to to find the right mix on a given day and and like I, I feel like he needs that because the the pure stuff isn't good enough for him to to do without that element of surprise but it does it does add some volatility to the equation here um for mitch keller so i'm a little concerned bottom line about him more concerned than for him than some of the other pitchers who struggled today, but I'm not panicking either. I'm not automatically benching him next time out either. I hope this is a wake up call for him. And he really gets to the bottom of what's been going on recently with the lack of swings and misses because of it. So you mentioned his previous seven starts before this one. And I I took it a little bit further than that. I looked at his last 10 starts and He's just been wildly inconsistent, Mitch Keller. Four of those starts with one earned runner fewer, six of those starts with four or more runs allowed. So he's been it's been kind of a roller coaster here for Mitch Keller. During that stretch, a 507 ERA, a 136 whip, less than a strikeout per inning. I noticed the same thing. Swinging strike rate has been pretty underwhelming during that time period. Still doing a good job limiting hard contact. Uh, the walks have been more of a problem. I think he's up over three walks per nine during that time. And if you're not getting whiffs, then it does leave you open to more volatility, as you mentioned, right? More balls in play, more things can happen, right? Especially with the shift restrictions this year, Babbitt batting average being up a little bit. So that in conjunction with the walks, I think we're seeing a pretty rough stretch here for Mitch Keller. But the underlying numbers are still pretty good for him this season. So I mostly agree with you. I It is a little bit concerning, but you know, some people were asking me, do we drop Mitch Keller? No, no, that, I mean... I think I'm confident saying that, right, Scott? You agree? Oh, not at all. Yeah, no. Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure whether to say yes or no, but don't drop Mitch Keller. <laughs> Do not drop Mitch Keller. Uh, yeah, I agree. Let's see where it goes. I mean, obviously, he has a longer track record of not being as good as he has been so far this season. But yeah, this this 10 start stretch, pretty concerning for me as well. Oh, my goodness gracious. You know, Scott, I'm just going to take an entire game. That D-backs and Braves game was insane. I mean, the D-backs go up early. The Braves storm back. They take the lead. The D-backs take the lead. The Braves take the lead. We go into the ninth inning. It's a tie game. And then eventually the D-backs do pull ahead in that one. Um, And I guess while we're talking about this, 91 degrees in Atlanta today, bunch of humidity. And I looked at, I don't know how reliable this was. I, I checked out a website where you look at humidity all around the country. And basically from the middle part of the country to everything on the East Coast, there was crazy humidity um, mm-hmm. just in general. And we talked about that a lot last year where as humidity would rise around the country into the summer months, we would start to see the ball fly a little bit more than we have in years past. Yep. And I wonder if maybe that's going to start happening again this season, which 
If that's the case, we're going to get even more volatile pitching, which I don't think we want. <laughs> they might just need to recalibrate those humidors, you yeah. know, because like we were we, we were freaking out similarly in April and then things kind of calmed down magically, mysteriously. Uh, uh, I mean, the reason we make so much of humidity is because there is all this manipulation of the ball happening behind the scenes with, with, with the humidors I'm talking about specifically, not the manufacturing of the balls. That's a separate issue. But, you know, if, it, if, it's, such, if it's set to this neutral humidity level, the ball, then, then places that are more humid, it's going to carry more. And that, that is more, we, we often cite temperature because humidity is related to temperature, but it is the humidity specifically that is the issue with the carrying of the balls in, in warm weather. So uh, you may be right. Maybe, maybe it was just a wild day, but maybe it is, it, it does have to do with, with atmospheric effects. And, uh, and so maybe Maybe there will be a stretch of games like this. I don't think it'll be last. I, I don't think it'll last long just because I think MLB won't let it last long. I'm, I'm not saying they'll 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 give us a peek into what they're doing or, or what's changed, but I, I don't think they'll let it last. The final number for Tuesday, by the way, 199 runs scored across baseball. And as I mentioned at the top, 12 different teams with double-digit runs scored. Let's talk about this Braves and D-backs game. 29 runs combined between the two teams. And we'll start with the Braves, who put up 13 runs on 11 hits in this one. Austin Riley, a huge performance, 3 for 5, with a double dong, 7 RBI. He had 4 hard hit balls in that game. 3 of them were at least 106 miles per hour off the bat. And the first half it was not exactly what we hoped for with uh, Austin Riley. 16 home runs were solid, 266 batting average, but a 775 OPS. All right, that's a little underwhelming as a second-round pick. And given how good that Braves lineup is, uh, the counting stats you would think were, would be a little bit better for Austin Riley. Hopefully this is a sign of things to come for a big second half with him. And, of course, Ronald Acuna, just doing his thing two for five with his league leading 44th stolen base of the season. On the other side, the D-backs put up 16 runs on 16 hits. Christian Walker went three for five with a double dong of his own five RBI. And I have officially, you let me know if I'm off base here, Scott, I moved Christian Walker ahead of Yandy Diaz in my first base rankings in both formats, head to head points and mm. roto leagues. Thoughts? Yeah, I've, I've, <laughs> toyed with that idea too. I think it's easier to justify in a roto league than a points league because Diaz with his plate discipline, his low strikeout rate specifically has such an advantage in points league. But I do think, I do think as of right now, um, I'll double check this Walker's point per game average is higher than Diaz's. So that might be justification enough. Okay. 3.21 for Walker entering today versus 3.42 for Diaz. So no, it's not that close. Diaz still much better on a per-game basis, just looking at the full-season stats. Right. I think um, when I looked at the past 30 days, Walker was better than Andy yeah, Diaz. So. Pro probably, because Diaz hasn't been homering. So yeah. I, yeah, I mean, I think it's justifiable. I'll probably still keep Diaz ahead of Walker in points when I do my big update tomorrow. But I can move Walker ahead in Roto, sure. The full season line, by the way, for Christian Walker, 262 batting average with 20 homers, seven steals, and an 848 OPS. Corbin Carroll went two for five with two RBI and two more steals. He's up to 28 on the season. And Cattell Marte just keeps it chugging along here, three for six with two doubles and three RBI for him. Now batting 286 with an 860 OPS on the season. Which pitchers started this game? <laughs> Clearly, they didn't do very well. Uh, Zach Davies. Okay, that makes sense. Bryce <laughs> Elder. Bryce Elder on the other side of this game. That's now two rough starts in a row. Uh, in this one, two and two-thirds innings, seven runs allowed. Five of those were earned. He had just seven swinging strikes on 76 pitches. He's not a big whiff guy anyway, uh, but gave up seven hard hits, 91.5 average exit velocity against. And now he's up to a 331 ERA, which is still very good, but a 124 whip, well below a strikeout per inning. Um... You know, Scott, this could be just regression that was going to hit eventually anyway, but especially mm -hmm. on a day-to-day, -day, I guess it's not surprising that, you know, Bryce Elder got hit hard. Yeah, so he's an example of a pitcher I, I made reference to earlier where, where maybe it was just a lot of regression happening. 
Uh, and in Elder's case, this is back-to-back bad starts. I think, what is it, a combined 12 earned runs between the two starts? So I have 11, but yeah. Okay, so that... Um, so that lends further credence, further credence to the idea that he's he's regressing here. And I, I do think you have to acknowledge that as a possibility. Obviously, he has been... We, we have been surprised how good he is based on some of his underlying numbers. And it's happened for so long, dating back to last September, that it was just a couple weeks ago I was saying, yeah, I'm kind of... I think I'm kind of done doubting Bryce Elder. He's just a weird case, and we should just enjoy what he provides. I'm not abandoning that stance necessarily. I'm just acknowledging I don't know everything. And, and the, the reasons for concern are obvious. They're, they're, for the most part, what we've been saying about Bryce Elder all along. 331 ERA still, as you pointed out, even coming off the bad starts. And, and if, if that's the baseline for him, a low threes ERA, okay. If, if that's what he regresses to and he kind of holds steady from here, that's fine. That's good. That's basically what I was counting on. Um, I'll also point out that it, there was a two-start stretch earlier this year where he allowed a combined nine earned runs and obviously bounced back from that. So I don't want to panic over what Elder's doing now. But I, I, we still don't... There are reasons for concern, but I'm not ready to panic either. Yeah, we don't have this extensive track record with Bryce Elder. You were right, by the way. It is 12 earned runs over the last two starts for Elder. And uh, just looking at his game log, he has... Exactly four walks in two of his last four starts as well. I'll tell you right now, given the lack of whiffs that he gets, if he is walking that many batters, it's just going to make it that much tougher too. So let's see where the control goes. But you know, I think that just that feels like a given here for Bryce Elder. Speaking of all these runs being scored, the Braves and D-backs were not the only ones. The Cubs put up 17 runs on 20 hits. Um, lots of humidity in that. In that game as well, uh, Seiya Suzuki went four for six with his eighth home run, two runs, and three RBI. He had a single that was 114.6 exit velocity. Definitely helps going up against Patrick Corbin, of course. Uh, you know, Scott, we haven't talked about this guy, I don't think at all, but I kind of wish the Cubs would give Miguel Amaya more of a chance to play. I know they have Jan Gomes, the veteran catcher there, and you know Miguel Amaya is a catcher as well, but he went two for five with three RBI in this game. It's a small sample. He's hitting 284 with an 828 OPS. Statcast loves this guy. 291 XBA, 537 X Slug. I don't know that there's anything actionable yet. I I have him in an NL only league just because anybody who has a pulse you have in those types of leagues. But if Miguel Amaya gets more playing time after the trade deadline or second half, I could actually see him making an impact. Yeah, no, I I could too. He has been good in limited times, gotten some starts at DH, and used to be used to be regarded as one of the better cat catching prospects. So somebody to keep an eye on if if a spot opens up. Even in two catcher leagues now, I mean, it's worth keeping an eye on. For sure. Patrick Wisdom went two for four with his a seventeenth home run. He now has three home runs in his last four games and we know that Patrick Wisdom is one of these crazy streaky players. I'm not saying it's happening, but it might. So let's see where uh, Patrick Wisdom goes from here. All of the double dongs, we already mentioned a couple of them here. Six different players with multiple home runs on Tuesday night. Christian Walker and Austin Riley were two of those names. Josh Naylor, another big game here, two for five with uh, two more home runs. He's now betting 311 with 15 homers, 75 RBI on the season, and 875 OPS. You mentioned, Scott, that you were going to move him inside of your top 10 outfielders, and I did exactly that on Tuesday in both formats, Roto and Head-to-Head points for Josh Naylor. Francisco Alvarez went two for three with also a double dong. He had two walks in that game. He is up to 19 home runs, Scott. 19 for Francisco Alvarez. That leads the catcher position in Mm -hmm. 238 plate appearances. Sean Murphy is second with 17 home runs, at 285 plate appearances. That's nearly 50 more plate appearances, and Francisco Alvarez leads the position with 19 home runs. He's yeah. Awesome. So, I mean, that's that's what, if you, if you project that over full season of plate appearances, 45 homer power. I, I, I don't think it's, it's a fluke. I think this is what he was billed as being. What is he, 22 now? 
So still very early in his career and generating this kind of power. This is why he was such a highly regarded prospect for so long. Uh, and yeah, must start catcher. Must start high-end catcher. By the way, Josh Naylor, those 75 RBI, fourth most in the majors. On the Guardians, too. Isn't that yeah. so interesting? Wow. Yeah, it, it really is. Yeah. And for a guy who I don't think at the start of the year was playing quite every day either. No, it I don't, certainly is now. I don't think he was playing against lefties, but man, awesome season for, uh, for Josh Naylor there. Alvarez, by the way, 21 years old, Scott, doesn't turn 22 until November. So just makes it <laughs> even that more impressive. Uh, last stat on him, 292 ISO. That is 10th best among all hitters with at least 230 plate appearances this season. So it's not just Alvarez is a good power hitter for being a catcher. He's just a legitimate good power hitter. Uh, let's stick with the double dongs here. Wilmer Flores hit two more for him, and he's having a uh, he's he's hot to start the second half. I don't think that there's much upside there with a Wilmer Flores. We kind of know who he is at this point. And Spencer Torkelson, three for five, three RB, uh, five RBI rather. Now up to 14 home runs. One of those homers, 109.7 exit velocity, 430 feet, and he was one of my sleeper picks for the second half. Just 66 percent rostered and. So far, so good. Looks pretty good. Yeah. So last 16 games now for Spencer Torkelson, he's batting 297 with six home runs. His strikeout rate during that stretch, I think, is around 23%. So certainly good enough. And maybe it's happening. It's been a long time coming. I think at this point, uh, any league with corner infield spots, Torkelson needs to be rostered. I would agree with that, too. And I, I had two names written down as corner infielders a little bit later on. A. Eugenio Suarez hit his 13th home run, and he's been playing better as of late. Jake Berger, two for five with two doubles and three RBI. He's off to a nice start here in July. Joey Votto hit another home run. I, I moved him up the first base rankings as well. Scott, would you put Torkelson at the top of that list of corner infielders? It would be Torque, Jake Berger, A. Eugenio Suarez, Joey Votto. I might give the edge to Votto. I think so too. Certainly, if it's if it's somebody you're counting on being in your lineup regularly, I, I think I think I have more confidence in Votto being a relevant contributor rest of season. But Torkelson has the more upside, and if you can afford to speculate on upside, then maybe you lean that direction instead. But Berger, I mean. Like Berger's power is legit. Few players in baseball hit the ball harder than Berger's. Max exit velocity, 100 percentile. I mean, so <laughs> the power is legit. He just strikes out a lot. It's going to be a negative in batting average, almost certainly. Uh, I, I, I would say Suarez is a distant fourth, and that's even recognizing he has five home runs in July. Has been heating up. I just, I think the other three bring enough to the table that. You you don't have to see the glass half full with Suarez. Joey Votto, by the way, that's eight home runs in 22 games since rejoining the Reds. And that was actually his 350th career home run. So shout out to Joey Votto. 39 years old, and guess what? He still bangs. Let's take our first break here, and when we return, uh, we will talk about some waiver wire pitchers. I got some hitters, a potential sell high. Nathan Avaldi. I don't know. We'll talk about that right after this. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. Homes.com offers in-depth neighborhood guides with detailed video overviews, comprehensive narratives, and unbiased information from a multitude of sources. You thought we go in-depth with player analysis on fantasy baseball today? You haven't seen anything yet. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood complete with a video guide. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. When looking at local schools, they offer test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? 
Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back and we want to offer a warm welcome to the newest podcast in the CBS Sports family and another fantasy football show. That's right, Fantasy Football Today Dynasty launches this week with the insight you need to know to dominate your dynasty leagues. Join host Heath Cummings and other familiar faces and voices from the FFT crew each week as they bring you dynasty mock drafts, deep sleepers, risers and fallers, and much more. Download and follow Fantasy Football Today Dynasty wherever you find this podcast. And if you're watching us live on YouTube, we got this big old graphic up on the screen. You can scan that QR code that will take you right to the podcast feed. And speaking of the podcast feed, if, you, uh, if you're listening to Fantasy Baseball Today right now, you might have noticed, what is a football podcast doing in our feed? Well... That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to spread the love here and uh, get more eyes and ears on Fantasy Football Today Dynasty. Shout out to Heath Cummings and the crew. Those guys do a great job. Let's get into some waiver wire pitchers here, Scott. And Edward Cabrera was solid in his return to the Marlins. He was at the Cardinals, five innings of one-run ball with six strikeouts, and eight swinging strikes on 74 pitches. If you look at his last seven starts, this one included, and obviously dating back before the injury, 368 ERA and a 111 whip. That, that looks pretty good for Edward Cabrera. Logan T. Allen pitched very well in his return to the Guardians. He was at the Pirates, five shutout innings, one hit, one walk, with eight strikeouts in that one. And I don't know that there's much to take away from this one because the Yankees are terrible. <laughs> I don't know why I'm wearing this hat. I know you hate this hat. Scott, Broken you, like a true Yankees fan. YouTube Agrees with you, by the way. I read the comments last week. People hated this hat. So, I mean, I I'm guess... I'm a man it, of the people. What can I say? <laughs> I guess so. And you know what? I'm just going to keep wearing it. Contrarian Frank. Let's go with the uh, the old clip art hat. Patrick Sandoval. Strong start up against the Yankees. Seven and a third innings. One run allowed. Seven strikeouts there. Uh, Scott, any interest in this group? Sandoval, Logan Allen, and Edward Cabrera. Not a ton. I mean, Cabrera is the most interesting because of the upside he has with three pitches having better than a 35% whiff rate. That is a rare quality. Of course, control is an issue. It has been better, you know, during that stretch you were talking about. And in this start, how many, how many walks did he have in this first start back from the IL? Three and five innings. Yeah, not great. So it's still an issue, but like you got to like the upside there. I'm not saying Sandoval and Allen are devoid of upside, but we've seen a lot more of their downsides recently. Even in this one, for, for giving up only one hit, Logan Allen average exit velocity was 94.1 miles per hour. <laughs> yeah, that's and a it, lot. And his fastball was down a mile per hour and a half too. So I... I'm kind of surprised he had so much success. It, it was the Pirates he was facing, but not everybody one hits the Pirates with their fastball down 1.5 miles per hour. So I don't know what was going on there, but I'm I'm not I'm not ready to give Logan Allen a full-throated endorsement based on this performance. The most added starting and and, and, and let me add real quick. I mean, as good as Sandoval was in this one, right? Uh, his previous just to give you an idea how bad he was he's been previous six starts he had one quality start while turning in a 623 era and 181 whip wow he had 17 swinging strikes in this start <laughs> i didn't get a chance to really dive into it because there was just so much stuff going on but 17 swinging strikes on 99 pitches uh, look you laid out the numbers sandoval has been really bad but uh let's see where it goes obviously these whiffs sure. were pretty impressive here and He's at the Tigers next week, so you know if you're looking for a streamer, it might make some sense. Um, eh, I wouldn't be willing to do that, but uh, well, we'll see when I actually put together the top ten sleeper pitchers because it's hard to come up with ten sleeper pitchers. Maybe he'll force his way on there, right? Despite my objections to my own list, but uh, yeah, I mean, uh, 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 it, we, we've long thought Sandoval has potential, and. If he is going to live up to it, it has to start somewhere. I'm just saying one isolated start isn't enough to buy 
back in fully. It's it's something to monitor. Sure. Well, I while I mostly agree, I keep finding interesting things about the start now that I'm looking into it. His slider was up 2.3 miles per hour. His fastball is up 1.5 miles per hour. I mean, this, it's, it's pretty promising stuff. Look, it's not a must-add pitcher, but it's, it was a very interesting start here for uh, Patrick Sandoval. The most added starting pitcher on CBS right now, Scott, is Matt Manning, despite us telling people not to add him. I think it's just because he was so low-rostered that you know people are desperate for pitching. Um, I mean, he was one of the, the, the 10 sleeper pitchers on this week's list despite my objections to my own list. <laughs> right. I wouldn't recommend adding him, but I kind of had to recommend adding him. You know. Would you rather have Edward Cabrera or Matt Manning? I would rather have Edward Cabrera. A little, bit, a little bit further down the list, Kyle Bradish is up to 78% rostered. Would you rather have Bradish or Edward Cabrera? Bradish. I think Bradish is must roster at this point. Somebody pointed this out to me on Twitter recently. If you sort by Stuff Plus, which is a metric um, Eno Cyrus provides to, uh, to Fangraphs.com, uh, from June 1st on, Kyle Bradish apparently ranks number one among qualified starting pitchers in Stuff Plus, which is obviously pretty impressive. So, Yeah, I, I've, I've, I've long, even coming into the year, I knew that Eno Saris's Stuff Plus formula liked him, which was part of the reason I don't really understand Stuff Plus. Sorry, I, I kind of started a sentence before finishing the previous <laughs> sentence, which I often do. I don't to, I don't really understand stuff stuff plus, so it's not a, a metric I cite very often because I just you know like to know what I'm citing, obviously. Right. Uh, but I did know that Eno Saris's formula liked Bradish, and that's part of the reason I I've been cautiously optimistic with them basically all year. Uh, let's quickly talk about Julio Tehran, Scott. I just, the experiment is over, right? I mean, he gives up four runs over four and two thirds innings at the Phillies. He's given up 17 earned runs over his past three starts. ERA now jumps over four, still 46% rostered. I, I feel like we could probably just drop Julio Tehran. Yeah, agreed. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, I, I had him in a 15 team league and I, I dropped him recently. So that's about as deep as it goes. So I, I yeah, you could go ahead and drop Julio Tehran. Some waiver wire hitters, and man, 30 minutes in, Scott. We're only talking about it now, but Christian Encarnacion Tran, of course, his first career hit would be a home run, and not just any home run. A pinch hit, three-run homer, which at the time was a go-ahead home run, so it's just more Cincinnati Reds magic this season. They wound up losing the game, unfortunately, but... Uh, Upper decker. Yes, it really was. 26 feet. Yeah, 105.8 exit velocity, 426 feet. Wanted to mention here at the top of waiver wire hitters because he's still just 75% rostered and you know maybe some questions about the playing time, but I feel like that needs to be closer to 100%. Yeah, I, I well, I mean, the, it was a pinch hit home run because he wasn't in the lineup, right? His second day in the majors in Carnacion Strand wasn't in the lineup, which is something we've talked about could be an issue given the log jam there for the Reds. The pinch hit appearance did come very early in the game. Unfortunately, it was for another player we like a lot, Jake Fraley, who also homered in his only at bat before Encarnacion Strand came in and pinch hit. So Encarnacion Strand did end up getting three at bats in the game he didn't start and went two for three and played third base after he entered, by the way, which is interesting. I wasn't sure if he'd appear there at all in the majors. Turns out the first time he plays the field, it's, it's at third base. So, you know, I'd rather see him appear at first base. I want to see him become eligible there. But it is uh, it is noteworthy that the Reds are at least willing to stomach his d- defense there for the time being. It's another opportunity to get Encarnacion Strand in the lineup. So I can understand why he's not 100% rostered. There are a lot of shallow leagues in there where a guy with questionable playing time who's completely unproven, you just may not be able to, to make room for him. But I remain optimistic about Encarnacion Strand during this, his rookie season, and hopeful that his performance will earn him something close to everyday at-bats. I know there's a lot of shallow leagues out there, Scott. I just have to imagine there has to be a team in every shallow league that has a dead roster spot where they can just afford to take a shot on the upside, right? So, Yeah, probably. From that... But if- but they're probably like asleep at the wheel at this point. <laughs> you might be right about that. Waiver wire outfielders. I've got four names written down here that are all between 50, 
no, 42, no, 34. What am I saying? Between 34% and 57% rostered. So could be out there in uh, maybe some five outfielder leagues. I don't know. Uh, Tommy Pham in his first game back in the Mets lineup. He was dealing with a groin injury. He went two for three with his 11th stolen base. It's still kind of shocking to me. He's only 34% rostered. Power, speed, great expected numbers, great actual numbers. So that one's kind of shocking. Andrew Benintendi went two for four with two walks, three runs, and his 10th stolen base. He is betting 331 since the start of June. James Outman went two for three with his 10th stolen base, is playing much better so far in the month of July. And Mickey Moniak went three for four with his 11th home run. And he keeps hitting 336 batting average, 1014 OPS. He's 42% rostered, batting in the middle of the Angels lineup. Scott, how would you rank that group? Tommy Pham, Andrew Benintendi, James Outman, and Mickey Moniak. It's a really interesting group. There are a lot of a lot of strengths and weaknesses for all of these players. So uh, my order may be look very different a month from now. But for now, I'm going to say Tommy Pham because he's the one I trust to play most regularly now that he's back from the groin issue. And uh, he's certainly produ- been producing over the last month or so. So Tommy Pham, number one. I'll go Moniac number two, but with the understanding he basically never plays against lefties. So you have to, it, it has to be in the right circumstances that you use him easier in a five outfielder roto league, for instance, than anything head to head. But he's very productive against righties. High strikeout rate. So, you know, kind of like with Edward Julian, who knows if that'll come back to bite him at some point, but so far it hasn't. Mickey Man- Moniac's numbers remain very strong. So he's number two. I'll go James Outman, number three. Maybe we see, maybe we see a, an Outman resurgence here. It's you know he looked like a keeper in April, like he was one of the the big finds of the 2023 season, and and crashed hard thereafter. But he does provide, in in theory, he does provide power. He does provide speed. We've seen uh, we've seen him, you know performing again here in July. And, and what really struck me about Altman when I was looking into him, he's now started 22 of the last 23 games for the Dodgers. So even when he was doing great in April, he was sitting against left-handers pretty often. That's not the case anymore. He's, he's a legit everyday player for them. So uh, that's why Altman's third and then Benintendi's fourth, just because he's super boring. <laughs> super boring indeed. I mentioned Benintendi batting 331 since the start of June. That also comes with five stolen bases, but he has just one. One home run on the entire season, even in a pretty good ballpark uh, in Chicago there. So uh, not great for Benintendi, but I think your order makes a lot of sense there with those outfielders. Some names in deeper leagues. Matt Vierling went two for four with three runs scored, and since coming off the IL, 27 games, he's betting 337 with three homers and one steal. Uh, Will Benson went one for four with his fifth home run, and we know he's been playing a lot better recently, mostly against right-handed pitching. Trent Grisham, two for three with his 10th homer, and since the start of June, 38 games for Trent Grisham, 266 batting average, five homers, Six steals, 90.3 average exit velocity. It's kind of interesting. So let's say five outfielder leagues here, Scott. Grisham, Will Benson, Matt Veerling. How are you ranking those three? I'll go Benson, Veerling, Grisham. I have, I, yeah, I mean, he's been bad, so bad for so long that a, that a 38-game stretch in which he's hitting 266, I'm not sure it's moving the needle with Grisham. But, like, I'm, like, like the thing is, these, these, Outfielders, all three of them, Veerling, Benson, Grisham, they're rostered. Their their roster rates are so low that, like in that same range, I can pick up Kerry Carpenter, and I'd rather have Kerry Carpenter than all three. Yeah, uh, I think that's fair. I don't, I don't know that there's much upside. I actually was going to say I I would put Trent Grisham at the top of this list, but maybe I'm just buying. Yeah, I could understand that. I mean, if we're just talking deeper leagues, and you just want to make sure you get. At bats, yeah. Uh, but Benson has the most upside of the three. He's also the most likely to uh, to crash and burn and and lose his hold on lose his hold within that uh, you know that that log jam happening in Cincinnati. But 
But I do think if he doesn't do that, then he's probably going to be pretty good. So uh, let me look this up. Let's let's look this up together because I just I looked at Trent Grisham's splits, and if this is correct, he's much better against left-handed pitching this year. Much better. It's not even. It's 84, it's 98 plate appearances. It's a pretty big deal. 274 batting average against lefties for Trent Grisham. 197 against righties. Wow. That's so weird. I feel like we've seen that from him before. Let me see if the career numbers bear it out. Yeah, for his career, he's better against lefties than righties. Huh. Yeah, you don't see that often, the old lefty reverse splits. But uh, I think if nothing else, that probably means Grisham's going to play every day. I... I'm just holding on to hope. I feel like at some point this Padres lineup is all going to click together, but I've been saying it all season and it, it hasn't really happened yet. So it happened today. That is true. It ruined. Who did it ruin? Who started? Who got crushed by the Padres? Alec Manoa. Oh, that was it. Yeah. <laughs> Who we will talk about in just a little bit. Let's run through the news and notes. Aaron Boone said that Aaron Judge is, quote, getting close to a return from the IL when asked whether July 25th against the Mets was a realistic target for Judge to return. Boone did not rule it out. So. We shall see. The Blue Jays are hopeful that Kevin Gosman will be able to make a start this weekend in Seattle. He was scratched this weekend, this past weekend, due to left side discomfort. Brandon Woodruff is beginning a rehab assignment at high A on Saturday. He reportedly felt great after his latest session last Thursday, and it sounds like he could be about a month away, so uh, mid-August for Brandon Woodruff. Clayton Kershaw threw a bullpen session Tuesday and said, quote, all good afterwards and he's on the aisle with shoulder inflammation and we've also heard august as a potential return date for clayton kershaw dusty baker said tuesday that he's unsure whether framber valdez will be ready to make his next scheduled start friday in oakland valdez left his previous start with a cramp in his left calf jordan romano said he was available to pitch out of the bullpen tuesday he's recently dealt with some lower back tightness i didn't see that if he actually appeared in that game, probably not considering the Blue Jays lost nine to one. So, uh, but it's good news on oh. Jordan Romano. Yeah, almost another double-digit scoring team there. That's true. One away. One away from uh, thirteen. That would whew, crazy, crazy day. Uh, Merrill Kelly will throw another simulated game before potentially rejoining the D-backs rotation next week. He's been on the IL since late June with a blood clot in his calf. Trevor Story is on the verge of heading out on a rehab assignment. He's missed the entire season to this point after undergoing internal bracing surgery on his right elbow back in January. Scott, how interested are you in stashing Trevor Story? Pretty interested. I'm, the, 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 the reason I don't think it's an absolute must is because Trevor Story hasn't been Trevor Story in a couple years, if you know what I mean. Like yeah. there used to be a first round fixture in fantasy, and he has been far from that the last couple years. So uh it's not a certainty that when he comes back from this elbow issue, you're just you're gonna want to slot him right back in your lineup. I don't think he's at that place in his career anymore. Mm-hmm. But he's at least as interesting as like a Jorge Polanco. I would say a little more interesting than a Jorge Polanco. Yeah. You know, look, he's coming back from a pretty serious procedure, too. Same thing that Bryce Harper had. And, wait, no, am I making that up, Scott? Did Bryce Harper have the internal brace, or did he have Tommy John? He had Tommy John. Okay. Reese Hoskins, who obviously has been out all year for a different injury, but he he had previously had the the surgery that, uh, or at least something like the surgery that Trevor Story just had. And he was pretty good. Hoskins was pretty good last year, so... Uh, we'll see. Trevor Story, by the way, his first season with the Red Sox last year. In 94 games, he hit 238 with 16 home runs and 13 steals. He is 59% rostered. Liam Hendricks will throw a simulated game Wednesday, and assuming all goes well, Hendricks could be sent out on a rehab assignment very soon. Rafael Devers has now missed two straight with right calf tightness. Salvador Perez has missed two straight with left uh, with a left hamstring strain. Christopher Morell was scratched Tuesday due to tightness in his neck. Tommy Edmond began a throwing program and fielded grounders Tuesday. He's been out since July 7th with right wrist inflammation. Well, the Cardinals lied to us because they said Tyler O'Neill would be back on Monday, and then they said he'd be back on Tuesday, 
And now they're saying he's going to be back on Thursday. Liars! They are liars. Hyunjin Ryu is slated to throw at least 80 pitches at AAA in his final rehab start on Friday. He has pitched well in his rehab, but his fastball has been sitting 87 to 88 miles per hour. So that doesn't sound too great for Ryu. And John means business. He threw another bullpen session Tuesday uh, and suffered a muscle strain in his upper back in May, uh, back in late May, could rejoin the Orioles sometime in August. Scott, who would you rather stash between uh, Ryu or John Means? Definitely Means. We have still not seen. Like, we've we've gotten one start from John Means with the new configuration of Camden Yards with the very deep left field fence. A fly ball pitcher who, because he throws left-handed, is probably going to face lineups stacked with righties. I feel like they mostly change those fences for John Means. <laughs> Probably not true, but like he 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 seemed like the single player who stood to benefit most. Uh, so I, I still have high hopes for him when he comes back. All right, let's take our final break, and when we return, we'll talk about all those pitchers that got rocked. I do want to get to Nathan Avaldi. We'll do that right after this. Robert Half Research indicates nine out of ten hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All right, welcome back, and let's get into all those pitchers that got rocked here on Tuesday night, and we'll start with Alec Manoa, who may have duped us again. This one was against the Padres, where he allowed four runs over three innings pitched. He had five walks, so zero strikeouts in this outing. His velocity was down a little bit, you know, half a mile per hour on the fastball and the sinker. It's obvious what the issue is. Five walks. Zero strikeouts. It's just more of yep. the same, Scott. And, you know, maybe it was just he faced the Tigers in his first start back, and obviously that's a very lowly offense. He did have uh, – yeah. he had eight I strikeouts. Mean, it was his first start of the year against the Tigers, and he walked – he was terrible in that right. other one. He had eight strikeouts to zero walks. So, you know, yeah. obviously he did he, he did a better job executing in that start, and this one he did not. I Where are you at? What's the latest on Alec Manoa? Yeah, I mean, he can't, he can't survive with control like this. We already – Knew that, and, and the main reason I was so encouraged by that start against the Tigers is he walked no one, as you pointed out. He threw 70% of his pitches for strikes. In this one, not only did he have the five walks against the, the Padres, but he threw just 53% of his pitches for strikes. That's terrible. And so, I mean, I don't know. If, I, I doubt they turn around and send him down again, but clearly... Can't have him in fantasy lineups right now. Is still too much, uh, too much that needs to be sorted out here. And and really, you shouldn't have had him in fantasy lineups yet anyway. After just one good start, as you know, we wanted to believe the best in Alec Manoa. We were rooting for you. We were all rooting for you. <laughs> but yeah, a lot to be sorted out still. Was this a two-star week for Manoa? Uh, yes, it was. So yeah, he might have been in some lineups. Uh, you know, not maybe not the smartest. Yeah, thing I probably had him ranked too high myself. Now that I think about him, yeah, I don't. I don't have him rostered anywhere anymore. So it's I picked him up in Tower. Rubber doesn't meet the road for me. I think I started him. Uh, yeah, he's fifty eight percent started on CBS, but you know, another rough one there for Alec Manoa. Lucas Giolito was crushed at the New York Mets. He allowed eight runs over three and two thirds innings, five walks in this one, three homers allowed. Gave up a lot of hard contact. Uh, velocity was down a little bit on the fastball and the slider in this start as well. But 
In his previous seven starts, Scott, Lucas Giolito had a 245 ERA, a .95 whip over a strikeout per inning. So this kind of just feels like a an isolated incident for Giolito. Yeah, this is one of those that I take little away from. You could make the argument it was regression hitting because you know maybe he was overachieving. His his underlying numbers look a lot more like they did last year when he was terrible than the rest of his career. You know, he hasn't gotten back to his pre-2022 strikeout rate or even swinging strike rate. Neither are bad in a vacuum, but they're not nearly as good as they used to be still. So, um you know, maybe maybe what he was doing prior to the start was kind of fluky, but he's obviously not this bad either. Tarek Skubal was crushed by the Royals? Four innings pitched, seven runs allowed in this one. Did give up some hard contact. Something that stood out to me, Scott, the fastball velocity in Skubal's three starts, 96.7 in his first one, 95.7 in his second, and then 95.2 in this one. Maybe he was just super amped up for his first start um and you know that's the explanation there overall i'm i'm not overly worried about this he looked really good in his first two starts yeah i don't know if worries the word to use but it's sort of like with alan manoa there's much to be sorted out still he has yet to go even five innings since coming back from this elbow flexor surgery he didn't do it in a minor league rehab assignment assignment he had he has yet to do it in his three starts back in the majors so Will that velocity hold? We were putting a, a, a lot of our optimism in the idea that, wow, his fastball's up two miles per hour. Uh, for what it's worth, he averaged 94.1 on it last year. So even in this third start where, where it dropped a little bit, it's still what up one from last year. So you know he hasn't regressed all the way to last year with the fastball velocity, but he still hasn't gone five innings yet. So we'll see. I'm not dropping him based on this performance, but I'm obviously disappointed. Not, I'm not mad at you, Tarek Skubal, but I'm disappointed. <laughs> yeah, I think that is a, uh, a good way to put it there. Next up, we had Tyler Wells, who was hit hard by the Dodgers. Two innings pitched, five runs allowed, gave up one homer in this start. Uh, did give up some hard contact, but this is another one, Scott. I'm, I guess I'm just kind of giving him a pass. Tyler Wells hadn't allowed more than two earned runs in a start since May 24th. Yeah, I, I feel like he was probably due. Yeah, and, and he's somebody who, I, I think Chris specifically, Chris Towers, feels very strongly that uh, that Tyler Wells is overachieving. But the clearest, the way he's overachieving is home runs. Like, he gives up so many fly balls. Um, his, his home run rate is high. He, got, he gave up only one at this start, so the home runs weren't the issue. I, I feel like if Tyler Wells is going to go sour, it's because of the long ball, and that's not what we saw here. So I don't see it as a regression to the mean kind of start for him, and, and I, I remain fairly optimistic, more optimistic than Chris, certainly, about Wells's second-half chances. With one caveat, I did talk yesterday about how I wrote about 15 pitchers who could be coming up on an innings issues, and Tyler Wells is on that list. He only threw 106 innings last year, and now he's over that this year. His career high uh, is less than 120, 119 and a third. So, you know, he's going to be coming up on his new on, on his career high soon. Doesn't mean the Orioles are going to shut him down. They'll probably want him to go 150, 160 innings. Uh, but they might want to reserve some of those innings for the playoffs since they seem destined for it. And so maybe they pull back on Wells a little down the stretch. So I think that's that's the biggest concern of all for him look, moving forward. And speaking of that list of pitchers who are coming up on innings concerns, Hunter Brown, he has kind of faltered recently. This start, he was in Coors Field, so, you know, you kind of give him the benefit of the doubt, but five and a third innings, four runs allowed, seven strikeouts with 14 swinging strikes. Some of the underlying numbers still pretty good here for Hunter Brown. Uh, The fastball was down 1.1 miles per hour in the start, his first time averaging less than 95 miles per hour in a single start this season. So... I thought that was kind of interesting, and uh, over Hunter Brown's last five starts, he has a 7.13 ERA and a 171 whip. Any concern here, Scott, for Hunter Brown? Yeah, but it's more 
it's more just growing pains, I think, from a rookie pitcher. I mean, obviously, this start was at Colorado, so he had all the weirdness going on for him there. I know he hasn't been good lately in general. Uh, he's out of my lineup for now in most cases, I would say. He does have a little more cushion innings-wise than Wells does. My concerns for him aren't as great, but they're there. And, you know, it's not just... When, when we talk about innings concerns, it's not just, okay, the team's going to have to slow down his accumulation of innings. Obviously, that's the main thing. But also, even if they don't, when a pitcher enters unfamiliar territory with innings, his performance could suffer. We saw that with Shane McClanahan late last year, and he's certainly not the, the first case of it. Still... Brown isn't even at 100 innings yet. He threw 130 last year. So it does seem like it does seem like that's not the issue he's having right now. On yesterday's podcast, Scott, I told you that I need you around on this podcast because you keep me grounded. Sometimes I overreact. I say some crazy stuff and you say, ah, let's 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 tame it down a little bit. So you tell me if I'm off base here, but I am officially very worried about Nathan Avaldi. He had a scoreless outing in this one against Tampa Bay. You're thinking, wow, I mean, he just had a good start. How can you be worried? Six shutout innings, two hits, three walks, two strikeouts. Velocity way down again. His fastball was down 2.4 miles per hour compared to what he's been averaging so far this season. His first 14 starts, Evaldi averaged 95.8 miles per hour on his fastball. His last four starts, not counting Tuesday, he averaged 94.6. So, again, last four before this one, it was already down 1.2 miles per hour, and then this start, it was down even more. 93.1 is what Avaldi averaged in this start on his fastball. He has an extensive injury history. The strikeouts have gone away during this recent stretch. The walks have been up as well. I, I'm officially very scared, Scott, and I'm not just going to sell for anything. I think you need to get adequate value in return. But after this start, I am going to every fantasy manager in my league who needs pitching, and I am offering Nathan Avaldi for what I think is fair value to try and cash in while I can. Yeah, quietly do that. I wouldn't put out an on-the-block update because then people are going to look into it more. I mean, the, the, what makes selling high on Avaldi possible is that he's continued to pitch well as his velocity has suffered. So I don't think average fantasy player is going to dig that deep into it. They're just going to say, oh, look, you know, his overall numbers are good. He's been pitching well lately. Great. This is a good buy for me. Uh, so that's, I, I think that's a good idea because uh, I'm concerned too. I mean, velocity, when, when a pitcher's velocity is down, that might be the single most concerning thing to me. And particularly in Evaldi's case, he relies so much on just throwing really hard that, uh, it's surprising he's been able to do so well. And what, what makes it even more curious is that, uh, so the, yeah, the velocity's been, it, it's really just three of the last four starts as velocity's been down. There was one start where his velocity in, in that four start stretch where his velocity was fine. It was his worst start during that stretch. Yeah. So that just makes it curiouser and curiouser. But, um, but yeah, I'm concerned about Evaldi too. Maybe not as concerned as you. I don't think it's essential that I trade him, but I'm shopping him, sure, for full return while I can still get full return. Like the 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 key to selling high, what what makes it a viable strategy is even if you're if you guess wrong about the pitcher regressing, the the return you get back for him mitigates that risk. Like you're you're still you're 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 banking the gains of that pitcher. That's the key to selling highs. You actually have to get a return back that um, that doesn't sell short what he's accomplished so far. So if you can do that with a Valdi, I certainly don't see any problem with moving. I don't, I don't have any problem with moving on from him. Yeah, I, I think a classic kind of sell high, buy low, if you're just looking at starting pitcher trades. And pitcher for pitcher trades are generally harder to pull off, I think. But a Valdi for Sandy Alcantara. I don't know how realistic that is, but I, I think it's something you could try to do, and I would try to do it. And, you know, if you're looking at a position player, I'd, I'd probably want, like, a top 20 outfielder, top 15 outfielder, something like that. So just to give you an mm -hmm. idea of what you should be trying to get for Nathan Valdi. 
Not every pitcher was bad, Scott, on Tuesday. So let's uh, pull up four names here who actually pitched quite well. Aaron Nola, a strong start up against the Brewers. Seven and a third innings, three runs. Two of those were earned with six strikeouts there. Joe Musgrove makes it seven straight quality starts. He was at the Blue Jays, six innings of one-run ball with seven strikeouts for him. Jordan Montgomery now has a quality start in six of his last seven outings. Facing the Marlins, six innings, one run allowed, five strikeouts for him. And uh, Taj Bradley actually had a solid outing at the Rangers. Five innings, two runs, nine strikeouts with 14 swinging strikes in that one. And uh, Taj Bradley's velocity was up across the board. I thought that was pretty encouraging for him. Uh, anything on this group, Scott, Taj Bradley, Jordan Montgomery, Joe Musgrove, and Aaron Nola. I mean, I noticed the same thing about Bradley, certainly if it continues it'll be reason to get excited. I'm probably not going to react to one start. It was against the Rangers. I mean, getting nine strikeouts in five innings. But yeah, I wonder how much of it had to do with the velocity increase and if Taj Bradley can actually sustain it because in his previous three starts, 16 earned runs over 12 and a third innings. Uh, otherwise, I mean, yeah, I've, 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 I've remained optimistic about Nola's chances of riding the ship. Musgrove's been as solid as can be. And uh, Montgomery has been good lately, at least. So, yeah, not much not much more to add there. The overall ERA for Montgomery down to 3.14 now on the season. The whip is still a little bit high, and I think he's probably a, a prime trade candidate for the Cardinals at the deadline. Ooh. It sounds like they're going to be sellers. You know, would make some sense to uh, cash in there on Jordan Montgomery. A few bullpen updates for the Phillies. Craig Kimbrell struck out one for his 16th save for the Marlins. AJ Puck entered in the bottom of the 10th inning with the Manfred man on second base. He would eventually give up a walk-off home run to Nolan Arenado. And Scott, do you think that we are getting close to the Marlins maybe moving away from A.J. Puck in high leverage and maybe giving an opportunity to Tanner Scott, who has pitched very well this season. <laughs> I mean, it was a terrible closer for them last year. I don't, you know, Skip Schumacher wasn't there, so he has he wasn't scarred by the experience and maybe can uh, view Tanner Scott's closing prospects with a fresh perspective. Yeah, maybe. I mean, look, even... In deeper Roto Leagues, the sort where you're going to have to fight tooth and nail for every emergent closer on the waiver wire, Tanner Scott's numbers are good enough that he he's probably worth rostering regardless of whether or not he's getting saves. And if they do make a switch, it's, well, that's, that's a, a battle you don't end up having to have because you've already got him stashed away. So it's a good idea to pick him up in those leagues, sure. In my most important league, NFBC main event, I have AJ Puck and... Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we picked up Tanner Scott, and we've just been holding on be for this exact reason. I, I noticed, you know, AJ Puck has uh, been a little bit more shaky recently. Speaking of shaky, for the Atlanta Braves, Rysel Iglesias got the ninth inning with the game tied. He gave up three runs. Two of those were earned. Took his fourth loss of the year. For the Diamondbacks, Kevin Ginkle struck out the side for his first save of the season. You might be wondering, where's Scott McGuff? He was used on Saturday and Sunday, and he was pretty bad in both of those outings. Same mm -hmm. question, Scott. Do you think maybe the D-backs give Kevin Ginkle a shot? I mean, they haven't been afraid to hop from pitcher to pitcher based on how they're performing in the moment. Yeah, McGuff's kind of blowing it here. The overall numbers are still very strong for him, but Kevin Ginkle's been... Pretty awesome, too. I mean, his ERA is down to 221. His whip's down to 0.95. Even though he struck out the side in this game, the strikeout, the overall strikeout rate is pretty low, much lower than McGuff's. But it wouldn't surprise me if they made a change again. Let's, let's see it actually happen before we move on from McGuff. But he, you have to be aware of the possibility. For the Rangers, Will Smith pitched a clean ninth inning for his 17th save. Aroldis Chapman pitched on Monday. For the Royals, Scott Barlow entered in the ninth with a five-run lead, and he gave up four runs on three hits and three walks. And he is up to a 489 ERA and a 143 whip. For the Rockies, they had a one-run lead. Daniel Bard pitched the eighth inning. Justin Lawrence in the ninth for his sixth save. 
Uh, Justin Lawrence, 21% rostered if you're desperate for saves. For the Oakland A's, Trevor May allowed a hit but picked up his seventh save. And he is 11% rostered if you are really desperate for saves. <laughs> um, and then the Giants, Camilo Duvall, he, they had that suspended game that carried over to Tuesday. And Camilo Duvall picked up a save in that game. And then in the night game, a one-run lead, he comes back out, <laughs> picks up two saves in one day. Camilo Duvall is now up to 30 saves on the season, and that is your league leader. Uh, Alexis Diaz and Jordan Romano are second with 26. Duvall has been lights out. Amazing this season. Let's wrap up with to stream or not to stream, and we will start with Wednesday. And I think yesterday I gave out Aaron Savali, Kenta Maeda, and Christopher Sanchez. Scott, I think you like Dean Kramer. I talked about Dean Kramer. <laughs> I don't know if, based on what we saw today, if 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 it is a league environment condition right now that makes it favorable for hitters. I don't know if Dean Kramer and his fly ball ways are going to be so optimal against the Dodgers lineup. I hate this segment. <laughs> I, I definitely prefer Savali. That's my number one choice. I'll just I'll just put leave it at that. All right. On Thursday, we do have a shorter slate of action, and looking up and down here. You know, JP France at the Oakland A's, that's fine. Michael Lorenzen at the Royals is fine. <laughs> Not very enthusiastic. Yeah, I, I had them both among my ten sleeper pitchers for this week, so I guess I should I guess I should mention them as one day streamers as well. All right, we're gonna wrap there. Crazy day. And we got through all of it. In pretty good time. I would say uh good job by us, Scott little pat yeah. on the back there. For Scott, I am Frank. Thanks as always for tuning in to Fantasy Baseball today. Please make sure to follow and leave a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify. We'll be back again tomorrow. Bye-bye. It's the NFL offseason, but on Pick 6, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, the football season never stops. Host Will Brinson, John Breach, and Tyler Sullivan are joined by analysts like Brady Quinn, Leslie Ducible, Katie Mox, and R.J. White to keep you in the loop on everything happening around the league. Whether it's free agents signing with new teams, the all-important NFL draft, or schedule release day, Pick 6 has you covered. As the face of the league changes with every team move and player pickup this spring, Pick 6 is a must-listen. Download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and anywhere podcasts are found.